Welcome into the A-List Podcast. I'm Kwani A. Lunis, joined by A. Sherrod Blakely. Sherrod, the season is finally over. It is. It is. is. It's is. <laughs> it finally over, and then the new season begins. Because really, there is no such thing as an offseason in the Never. NBA. You just go from playing games to playing a waiting game to playing who's got game for next season. And and, and this year is obviously not going to be any different. But the Celtics... It's gonna be it's gonna be very different when you look at the roles uh, that folks will be playing. We we kind of knew that they probably needed a shakeup, but I don't think people necessarily thought it would be Danny flashing us all the deuces sign, and then Brad just kind of you know shuffling over into that 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 top spot as the president of basketball operations. Just what, what are your, what are your thoughts on on that and just uh, just this new regime that will be. Uh, part of the Celtics organization now. My tweet when I saw the news break said, this was not on my 2021 bingo card because as you mentioned, that was not a move that I expected, especially generally speaking in the NBA after having a season like that, people you know, thought that maybe he would have eventually, well, he had his deal had been extended. So we knew that he would be with the Celtics organization, but I don't think anyone realized or thought or predicted that he would be elevated to the front office in that role. So a lot of people have been saying this, and I agree. Now we're going to be able to see what Brad really thinks about the players that were on his team and what moves he's willing to make. And if he could be a successful front office uh, manager of this this team and maybe bring them to the championship that they said they are willing to go die. What did they say? Die, dying? Um mm. I forgot the the terminology, but it was basically like they're going to do it or die trying, essentially, and try mm-hmm. to get a championship in Boston. Well, here's the thing. When when, when the news came down, and, and it, this is just kind of how my brain works, which I'll readily admit is can be a little bit way the hell out in left field. But yeah. I thought about Adam and Eve, uh, and I thought about them from as far as the wisdom that they gained unintentionally. Mm. And how that wisdom completely changed the way they viewed everything around them. And I look at Brad Stevens when he first came to Boston. Hey, Danny, just give me whatever you want. I'm going to figure out how I made to make it work. Give me right. any player you want. I'm, and then after a while, he realized, but well, damn, Danny gave me this guy. And he doesn't really work with what I want to do. I got that guy. He doesn't really work what I want to do. And now all of a sudden, I, I think Brad realized that, I can't just be taking whatever the hell he gives me. I need yeah. certain types of players. And if I'm not going to have a voice in that, that's going to make it hard for me to do my job. And I think this year was an example of what happens when you inherit a lot of kids that really aren't the kids that you can rock and roll with. And so yeah. I think Brad realized that, hmm, this, this isn't working. And I do think that when Danny Ainge talked a lot about how this isn't on Brad, this is on me, I put this roster together, looking at it in retrospect, I get the feeling that that was part of some of the conversations that they had mm-hmm. that after the fact, that Brad made it clear that this guy doesn't really work with what we're trying to do because I want a guy who can do X, Y, Z, one, two, three, and this guy does Q. Uh, this guy does R. And that ain't working for what we do. And so... I think that Brad recognized I can't be the best I can be as a coach if I don't have more say. And I think Danny probably realized, okay, well, this isn't working for me. What I'm doing, I'm, and I'm, I just don't think Danny had that same fire to do the job as he had earlier. And to me, 
it made sense in a lot of ways because the Celtics like to do things in as seamless a manner as possible. So it made sense for them to slide Danny out and, and for Brad to slide right in. But the one thing, and, I, and I've talked with a few executives about this, that I guess the best way to describe it, it raised some eyebrows among their group, is that mm-hmm. Brad had, by all accounts, a down year in a job that he did. And, and down year relative to the expectation and the standard of excellence that he has set for this franchise as the head coach. Mm -hmm. And to go from having a down year in the job that you normally do to not just keeping your job, but getting the promotion of all promotions. I mean, it's, I mean, it it would be just like, you know, if, if you are, you know, a data analyst and you get some numbers wrong, you then replace your boss that usually that's not that's quite how this stuff usually works. And so it and, and, and what one executive pointed out to me was remember, Doc Rivers left because he didn't want to do a rebuild and he wanted to have more say in mm-hmm. how the team was put together. And so the Celtics response was, Well, we can trade you and you can go somewhere and get that responsibility. And granted, Doc did not do a very good job as a GM when he was at the Clippers. And I get that. But they gave him an opportunity, which is what the Celtics, in hindsight, weren't really willing to do then. But they were willing to do that with Brad Stevens. So it raises a lot of questions that I think uh, put a different kind of pressure on Brad to do well in his job. Because just like when Brad made the transition from college basketball to the NBA, he didn't necessarily have the, the typical cookie cutter credentials. Uh, did a great job at Butler. You give him mad props for that, but that doesn't necessarily make you a college, a good NBA coach. Particularly when you look at the number of college coaches who came to the NBA and yeah. who sucked. Uh, yeah. Brad did not suck. Uh, Brad clearly showed that he could coach at this level, but again, he's going into another area uh, of the NBA where his credentials don't necessarily align with the position. Uh, and yet he's getting that opportunity. And will he make the most of it like he did, I thought, for the most part as a Celtics head coach, or will he struggle? And if he struggles, it's going to raise, again, a lot of those same questions. Why exactly did you put him in that position again when you knew he didn't necessarily have the receipts, credentials, or experience for that? Uh, So, uh, again, I think Brad's going to have a different kind of pressure on him now, but it's a, in many ways, I think, more uh, pressure than he had as a head coach because – as a coach, you play who they give you. Now you're the one putting your coach in position to be successful. And if you don't do a good job, we're all going to know. Yep. So um, I'm curious to see how all that's going to play out. Um, as well. It, it's going to be a very interesting offseason for these Celtics. Absolutely. And and obviously lots of questions about the future of the franchise. And, and we're going to get some of those uh ideas and answers from our good friend Gary Washburn of the Boston Globe. Uh, Gary uh, had some time constraint issues, so we had to tape him a little bit earlier than we normally do. And since Kwani's got the muy importante job and I don't, uh, <laughs> as a teacher, this is kind of my, my free time. I'm like major flexible. So Gary and I had a conversation about the Celtics uh, and, and just this season that was and the seasons ahead and we talked to Brad and we talked about obviously Danny retiring Brad What's coming in and also Let's listen to it and and <laughs> we talked about the new Celtics head coach but I'm gonna leave it at that and let Gary in my conversation let you in on what we talked about so here we go with Gary Washburn Gary how you doing today my friend I'm great everything is good 
Oh, you sound so enthusiastic and eager oh, yeah, and, and excited about the offseason. Static. Static. <laughs> about this opportunity to talk 45 minutes or an hour with Gerard Blake. I yeah, hate I you, mean, Gary Washburn. I hate you. I really do. I really do. I don't, know, chop, I don't know. Let me chop something know. else off my bucket list. Um, you know what, man? If, if we if we weren't live and everything, I, I I would say some things that would probably get the FCC on, on my ass. But I'm a, I'm gonna leave it at that. But what I do want to talk to you about, though, I mean, obviously the biggest story around around here is is the the shakeup with the Celtics, Danny retiring, Brad Stevens taking over as president of basketball ops. I mean, did that catch you as off guard as it seemed to catch a lot of us? Uh, not as much. Um, in terms of. Danny, I thought Danny was getting tired. I think he, at some cases, was like letting go of the rope, and I think he was frustrated with the process of trying to improve the roster. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it was just wearing on him, and he and I just I just think if you look at some of the uh, things he said this year, like he was going to wait till the off season to use the trade exception, and you know, like it was sort of like. You know, he was just trying to get through this year and get to a full season. And maybe he just didn't have the fervor or enthusiasm for the job. Brad going up to president, I was stunned. But I also thought that this year, if things were the same and Danny had stayed, that Brad was going to ask for more power in how the roster was built. I don't think he liked this roster. I think he bit his tongue on several occasions in terms of trying to uh, criticizing the roster and not criticizing the roster. And I think he wanted some more input on how this roster was built. So now he has all the input. So, uh, you know, you never know what you ask for. You just might get it, I guess. So um, I'm a little, I was stunned at that, but the Danny thing, not as much. Well, the, the thing about Brad and, and, and you know, this just haven't been around here a while is that, you know, those first couple of years, I mean, Danny was flipping players left and right, and Brad just kind of went with the punches. But it seemed that over that period of time, Brad understood just how important roster development was and how if you don't get that right, it makes the job of the head coach incredibly difficult, and particularly when you're tasked with coaching players that may not necessarily be your kind of players. And, and, and so when I when I think about Brad in this new role that he's in, I'm, I'm, I'm curious how challenging do you think it's going to be for him to really create that that level of separation that has to be there from you being Brad a head coach trying to put guys on the floor that you would like to coach versus being the GM and putting guys on the floor that your head coach can have the most success with and can get the most out of how do you think he's going to handle that that dynamic I think that he'll create a partnership more with the coach um he'll bring in someone with experience and with a real voice who knows the league. And I think that they will partner together. Um, I think that Brad will be in charge, but I think he'll have uh, use the coach as an ally and as kind of an assistant general manager in that sense. Um, But I think that Brad's, I think he'll adjust to anything he puts his mind to it. He's a smart guy. Um, And obviously this is something that he wants. So let's see. I don't want to, so say, oh, he'll, he'll never be able to let, let go of the uh, rope in terms of being a coach or he'll try to coach the team from uh, the president's box. I think he'll allow the coach to be the coach. Uh, obviously, it's going to be likely a very new staff. 
a lot of fresh new faces, new voices. I think he'll take those voices into account, but I think he'll also try to put together a philosophy um, of how you want to play, you know, like uh, the Daryl Morey style in a sense, and how you want to put together a roster that fits that style of play, um, which means probably a lot of players uh, who are currently on the roster are probably going to have to going to be out. So uh, it's probably going to be a very new, fresh roster. Uh, but I think he, I think he's capable of the job. I think he's so smart that he'll pick it up um, in terms of talking with agents and negotiating and and all the little idiosyncrasies you have to do uh, to be a general manager, president of basketball operations. Yeah, I mean, but before, I mean, obviously the, the focus right now for a lot of folks, a lot of Celtics fans is on what's the next step? What is Brad going to do to get this team back to where they're one of the top tier teams competing? But before we get too far down that road, I mean, Danny was in this role for a long time. Uh, one of the longer standing, you know, persons in that position throughout the NBA. He, as a GM, got this franchise its only title in the last 35 years. Uh, I, I think a lot of people they they kind of they kind of gloss over that that fact. What do you think it will be the legacy that that Danny leaves behind in, in the role that he was in for so many years here in Boston? I think he helped resurrect the franchise back to the prosperity that thinks it it should be at. Uh, and the point it should be at a, a a contender in the East every year, you know, making the playoffs however long, you know, since from you know 13 out of the last 14 years, uh, that type of success, uh, the one championship, putting together the original quote unquote original big three, like the original second generation big three, um, and digging the organization out of some tough times in the early late 90s and early 2000s that after effects of the death of Reggie Lewis, some bad drafts, missing out on Tim Duncan in the lottery, uh, you know, the, the kind of not putting a good train Chauncey Billups after 51 games, not putting a good roster around Pierce and Antoine Walker, um, and just signing a bunch of guys who just were never real Celtics and never really, the, the, you know, just kind of a, just being another team. Um, to back to being where the Celtics were booed on the road and they were, they were, they were coming to kick butt, butt in your stadium. I think he'll get credit for that. I think he should. Um, I think the biggest thing, the one thing that probably if the big three had won that championship in 2010, I think his legacy would be a lot different. A lot of things might've not, not have changed. Maybe Ray Allen doesn't leave. Maybe the big three doesn't get broken up. If they get two titles in three years, um, who knows how that all goes down? Because obviously that summer, LeBron joins the Heat, then everything changed. The Celtics lost their grip on the East the minute that happened, the minute LeBron made his decision. So Danny, you know, let's let's be honest. I mean, it was a lot like the 90s and uh, with Michael Jordan in terms of denying Patrick Ewing and Charles Barkley, mm-hmm. a lot of guys' championships. It was the same. LeBron blocked the Celtics from going to the finals. Uh, you know, three times, four times, I think the semifinals and then one time the finals with Miami and two times with Cleveland in the second go around. So if not for LeBron, Danny has probably a a much better legacy. Uh, He has still has a great legacy. He'll go uh, down as one of the great GMs uh, of this generation. Um, But 
I also think that there were some troublesome things over the last couple of years, some missed drafts, some uh, non-signings, non-things that didn't get done that probably brings it down a tad. Yeah, I, I would agree. I would agree. Um, I can't get over the fact that, and I, I, a lot of Celtics fans, I don't think they really want to embrace this truth. But as much as they talk about this franchise story history, they got one chip in the last 35 years. And that was the K- the KG group. That's it. And when you start looking at teams throughout the NBA in that 35 or so year window, you've got seven teams that have won multiple championships within that period. Uh, and so I, I guess my, my, what I'm thinking, Gary, is, is the Celtics, they have this 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 historical mystique and, 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 and things of that nature. But how realistic is that in today's NBA when you look at where they are, when you look at San Antonio? A Miami, you know, teams that if you look at the grand spectrum of NBA history, maybe don't compare to the Celtics. But if you look at the last 30, 40 years, they're as good, if not better than the Celtics organization. How do you think the Celtics are going to just be able to, I guess, augment that that longstanding history and find ways to get back to being, you know, a power in the East or in the NBA for that matter? Well, I don't think that you're going to have unless you. You can flip Tatum and Brown into like a dime. It just there's too many great players in this league, and there's too many, you know, teams that can just come up with 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 big threes and dynasties. Like look at us, look at Brooklyn. You know, mm-hmm. they they spun. You know, they suffered for a while, spun two uh, cap slots into Kyrie and uh, KD, and then traded for James Harden. I mean, that's just gonna happen. I mean, I think the day, because back in those days, the players stayed with teams pretty much throughout their entire career in the 80s. Bird, Magic, all stayed with their teams. Or unless you were getting old and you still wanted to play, and you, you might go to another team after that, like like Max, Max did. But those d- days are over. Mm-hmm. And the Celtics are going to have to be content with building a team that can compete for Easter conference every year, but there's going to be ups and there's, there's going to be second round eliminations or like this year, a first round elimination. Some of that's going to happen because you're going to have age, attrition, disappointing signings, um, you know, salary cap limitations, uh, situations like Kimball Walker, just not fulfilling, you know, his contract in terms of just because of injury, not living up to that max deal, like things like that are going to happen. So I think that today's NBA fan, I would hope would be a little bit more understanding and not expect, you know, uh, you know, three titles in, in six years mm-hmm. at the Celtics one in the 1980s. Uh, they're going to have to, you know, you're trying to make a run. That's why I think the 2010 year was so yeah. costly for the franchise. Just, you know, being up three, two, basically scoring 67 points in game six. Then playing a bad, a terrible game, then Perk tears his knee up in that game. Then game seven, you lead, and then Rashid, you know, kind of taps out because he's exhausted. He's been drinking beers and stuff during the regular season. He just hasn't. Metal World Peace has the game of his life. Yeah, and Derek Fisher and Gasol gets a couple Gasol. of offensive rebound rebounds. Kobe only went six for twenty four in that game, but lived at the free throw line in the fourth quarter. If you win that game, okay, and you got two and three years. I think the whole complexion of the age era and the big three era is different because you got two chips to hold on to and not just one. Uh, 
But that's what you have to hope for. Just compete every year, put a solid product on the floor, and draft well. Danny drafted well. Danny leaves Brad with some great chips. Tatum and Brown, a couple of the, this draft I thought was decent with Neesmith and Pritchard. So you got, you know, you've got a base. You don't have a championship base, but you have a base and you got to figure out how to take it to the next level. I think it's possible, but I think the Celtics are out of the late 90s, early 2000s lottery, you know, just 40, 41 and 41. I think they're out of that. As long as Tatum and Brown are there, keep those guys happy. I think they're competing. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, just like the Celtics are looking to take their team and this franchise to another level. We do the same here on the A-List podcast with our sponsor, betonline.ag, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball is in full swing. You can catch all the action on Bet Online. Get all the latest news, odds, and information on all your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and, of course, a little UFC MMA action as well. Real-time updated odds and props. Before the next pitch, head over to BetOnline.ag on your laptop or your mobile device and take advantage of the 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sports book expert don't forget to take advantage of that 50 percent welcome bonus with the promo code clns50 bet online your online sports book expert now now gary you had mentioned uh a name a little bit earlier and i wanted to come back and talk a little bit more about him and that's chauncey billups uh obviously that's a name celtics fans are familiar with he was i guess the best way to describe it and let's be real he was the booby prize when you couldn't get tim duncan um the number three pick, the guy that, you know, that the Celtics kind of felt they had to settle on. Uh, now, as a potential head coaching candidate whose name has been talked about, what do you think What do you think a Chauncey Billups as the head coach of the Boston Celtics would look like? And would that be uh, a good hire from your perspective if they went that route? Yeah, I do think it'd be a good hire. I think he is very intelligent. He was a leader on his team. Uh He's always been known for his basketball acumen. Now he's paying his dues as assistant coach with the Clippers. Uh, he's young. You know, the players remember Mr. Big Shot. They remember, you know, now they might have been a little bit young during the 04. I think Tatum might have been six years old. I mean, they got you, you too. Know, they seen yeah, it. And, Brent and, and Jalen might have been seven or something. But they do remember uh, those guys going to what, seven consecutive Eastern Conference finals. And Winning that 04 chip and probably should have winning the should have won in 05 if somebody covers Robert Ori, uh, you know. So Emmanuel, so um, you're talking about an accomplished guy, a well-respected guy, a guy who could have walked right into a general manager's position maybe in Cleveland mm-hmm. or gone back to his hometown Denver and work with the Nuggets. Uh, so I think if he's interested. And he wants to coach. I think that this is a great opportunity to get someone like that. You're looking for someone who can relate to the players, who the players can look to. And he can say, hey, like, this is how I got it done. I'm a champion. You want to see the ring? Uh, you want to see my all-star jerseys? You want, like, like you know, don't question my resume. Right. Um, I think that's important in the NBA. I think what we're finding out with the firing of, like, Terry Stotts, Nate Bjorken today in Indiana that like, quite honestly, that whippersnapper young assistant coach 
who never played the game that doesn't work all the time. Eric, everybody can't beat Brad or Eric Spolster. You know, um, that's that, that's a more rare combination. And you see the effect and impact that Nate McMillan's having now on Atlanta. Nate, who I've never seen Nate smile. Um, you won't. Yeah, just looks at them dudes and be like, uh, played in the finals, played 15 years. You know, you want to see my resume? Like, I've been there. I didn't coach Brandon Roy. I didn't coach Ray Allen. I didn't coach Gary Payton. Like, I have coached, you know, greats. So step off, step back, Trey Young, and listen to what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's what this team needs. It needs a disciplinarian coach, a guy who can relate to the players, who can they can joke and laugh, but I ain't your friend, I'm your coach. But someone who can be a, a father figure, because that's what coaching is now. Yeah. I mean, you know, you're you're like that with a lot of young people, Sherrod. You're a mentor, a friend, a life coach, a disciplinarian. I mean, you're all of the above. That's what the coach does today. You know, you gotta help these guys grow and mature. They're going, they're coming to the league so fast, they get money and women so fast, and you expect them to be these like listen to all your commands and to be always be on time and all this. Like it's hard to be that young and grow in front of the world spotlight, grow in front of social media. Everybody's calling you trash after a bad game. So these guys need someone that they know has been there and they can listen to and who can say, you want to see my resume? You want to see some tape? I'll show you some tape. You want to see my awards? I'll bring them in one day. Like, you know, you want to question me? I'll show you. And who lines himself with a good quality staff that can take this team to the next level. I think Brad did a good job, but there was just a disconnect this year. Yeah. I mean, as much as the Celtic faithful don't want to hear it, they were tuning Brad out. I, you know, I hate to write that. I don't want to admit it, but it was true. It just, it wasn't working. And I'm not saying it's Brad's fault, but I think after eight years, Brad felt like, okay, I'm talking on deaf ears. Like, maybe it's time for a change. And I totally respect that because eight years is a long time for an NBA head coach. You're not pop. You're not Eric Spolstra. You know, look at Miami. Miami looked like they was about to, you know, really put a hurting on Milwaukee. And, oh, it's going to be a great first round series. And just what happened? Broke down. It just, you know, you, you know, I'm not saying Spolstra is the problem, but that happens. Mm-hmm. Look at it. I mean, and then if you, for, for full respect for what Stevens has did, Look at what Brooklyn's done to two games to Milwaukee without Harden. Right. The Celtics went five with the Nets, could have won game one with some luck and some, and some shots, and competed with the Nets. I, they weren't they don't tend to beat them. They went five. I mean, have you watched the Milwaukee-Brooklyn games? It's, it's pathetic, is, man. It's like and one mixtape. It's like, like – Brooklyn, and every time they get down the floor, it's like they probably play Sweet Georgia Brown. Like, and the professor's going to the left yeah. with a 22-foot pull-up jump shot. And young kids, <laughs> Google the Globetrotters. I'm looking for Geese Osby, Curly Neal, and Nate Branch, my favorite Globetrotter, by the way, Nate Branch. Um, or Curly Neal, too. But look, Curly Neal's my favorite, but go yeah, ahead. Yeah, and Geese Osby and Meadowlark. I always look like Rose Meadowlark. Because they were straight clowning the buck, like behind the back. Then Blake Griffin, like the Celtics gave them not fits, but the Celtics pushed them a little bit at least with Harden. So 
I think that puts some type of a perspective on the job that Brad tried to do with a very limited roster. So yeah. I, but I just think that in, in terms of what he did, he had a strong run and I think he felt he was getting tired also. Yeah. I mean, when, when you look at just, just the, the sheer numbers, I mean, only two, three coaches in Celtics history, won more games than Brad Stevens. Uh, but the one thing that you pointed out, I, like when you're talking about Spolstra and just some of the issues that they had in Miami, the one thing that I, for Spolstra is always going to be that, you know, that, that kryptonite against anyone who's trying to just say maybe they need to go in a different direction. He's got chips, plural, not singular. And that's the one crowning gem from Brad Stevens' time as the head coach that I think if you get that, you can that can overcome some of those those uh, shortcomings you may have as as far as like not being a player. And just to get back to Chauncey, uh, someone, as you know, Gary, I, I covered Chauncey when he was at the peak of his game in Detroit. So, you know, so, you know how I feel about Chauncey. Billups. I have no I mean, idea. You come with the Pistons. Oh. But here's the thing. Yeah, they were kind of nice. They, they, that, the team today, not so much. The no team I was with, they was kind of nice. The thing about Chauncey, though, that I've always liked and respected about him is as much as we talk about what he did in Detroit, the way he handled himself when he wasn't that guy before then, you know, when he was traded to Orlando and, and, and Doc Rivers, and he was hurt at the time. I remember Doc told me a story about how Chauncey was that guy who was all, even though he couldn't physically be on the court, he did all his rehab. He was asking questions. He was being as involved as you could potentially be rather than just being somebody who just showed up and just said, Hey, and just kind of, kept themselves apart from the team. He did everything he could to be a part of that team, give advice and all this stuff. And at that time, he was a young fella still. Mm -hmm. And to me, the fact that he understood that even though I'm not playing and I can't physically help him, I still can be involved. Those are the kind of skills that when you take those into account with his ability as a player, his leadership skills, the fact that he, you know, he, he has been there, done that. And he's when you look at the Celtics roster, chances are every single scenario that is a dominant factor for a player Chauncey's been through that if you're a guy who thinks you should be getting more minutes Chauncey's been there if you're a guy who's the face of the franchise but you're not really feeling you getting the respect that you should been there if you've been hurt and it has kept you out from playing and all of a sudden you're starting to get that stigma that maybe you're just an injury riddle injury prone player you know Romeo Langford for example Chauncey's been there done that so he has the ability to connect I think with just about every possible situation and to your point Gary I think was going to be key and it's to me it's the most fun it's the most essential part of Steve Nash's success in Brooklyn isn't so much Steve Nash and his connection with the players but the staff around him if Chauncey were to be the head coach that has to be priority number one get the right kind of staff around you because you know what your strengths are get guys who compliment guy and, and, and frankly and if we're being honest and real would not shock me if you find a woman on Chauncey's staff would not shock oh, totally, me totally in, in fact there, there are a couple that come immediately to mind I don't think you can get Becky Hammond to be an assistant coach in fact she's going to be in the running to be a head coach but Teresa Weatherspoon down in New Orleans don't sleep um she's one of the greatest to ever play the game uh, and there's some others out there as well. So I, I think the key for him is finding the right fits uh, around him uh, if he were to get the job. But there's a lot of folks who we're, we're going to be talking about I'll in the coming. Say this. I'll say Wait. this. Okay. One, the Celtics, and I've wrote, I've written this, they just got to diversify. Like mm -hmm. there's just too many like 
It was just too long. The one thing, it was too long, much of Danny, Austin Ainge, and Mike Zarin, and David Lewin. Like, you got to mix it up. You got to have some fresh voices. You got to put some color in there. You got to put some former players in there. You got to, Danny can't be the, couldn't be the only play, only former player. Like, you got to diversify some fresh voices. You got to get some outside voices, some outside views of what people think of the Celtics. Bring in someone from, you know, like, if they're going to go after a guy like, M.A. Odoka, who's now on the sideline with the Brooklyn Nets. Okay, let's say Chauncey doesn't work out. M.A.'s watched close up the Celtics and say, I see what's the problem here. You know, I, I, I know what I can do here. Um, you know, as I said, let's see what Allison Feaster, if she ends up benefiting from this and has more say in some of the things. Someone that, that nobody talks about, who's a woman, who's a coach, who's kicking ass, is Dawn Staley. She coping chief team USA this year. You you don't think she would listen if someone want her on their staff? She's done all she can in South Carolina. She's won chips. Now she's coaching team USA. I bet you they cruise the gold. You know her phone's gonna ring. And mm. let's be honest. Let's not only talk about Becky Hammond. I respect Becky Hammond, but there's Kara Lawson. There's uh, uh, there's people around the league. I used to Teresa Weatherspoon. Yeah, Teresa mm-hmm. well, The former and then there's a the former Duke guard. Uh, uh, Party, um, who with the Kings? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, there's people who can who can be promoted and diversify the new coaches' staff, but you also need some fresh faces and voices in the front office. Better talent evaluators. Okay, they just missed on guys, man. Like they just missed. They gave away the first round pick to Memphis, who they take Desmond Bain, who shows shoots forty three percent this year from three, and then. Memphis also took Xavier Tillman, a mean brother who looked like he could have played in the ABA. I MSU. Mean, you, look at, you, look at, you look at Xavier Tillman. That dude don't look on 23. Like, bro, I want to see your ID. <laughs> about 32, man. You know, okay. you know, he was that kid, that, that kid in the 15 and under who looked like he was 24. Yeah, exactly. Harrison. Like, hey, bro, did you did you play Michigan State with uh Ain't your son should be out here playing not you yeah. with some that. Well, did, did you play with Charlie Bell in there? Did you come into Michigan State with Charlie Bell? In my team, like, damn, bro, you still here? Like, you know, yeah, like, how you still on campus, bro? You're 12 you here. Like Tillman, they missed out on that. The drafting of like the, the Grant, the Romeo Grant Williams draft, and then trading Matisse Thibel to get to, to get Carson Edwards. Like, kind of thinking, fooling. I mean, you didn't, you Matisse Thibel couldn't help this team at all. Ooh. You know, like there was some real misses, okay? And that's talent evaluation. And I like Grant Williams. Good kid, honest kid, but what is he going to be at this level? Pretty much what he is unless he really improves offensively. Like he can hit the occasional corner ball three. Mm-hmm. He's 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 a undersized five. He's a bruiser. He fouls hard. But that was your fir- one of your first-round picks. And he's played. Romeo showed some potential, but like – they botched some drafts. The reason why the Celtics did not have a good bench is because of Danny's lack of drafting. Gershon and Antag Zizek, when uh, Pascal Siakam was on the board, a lot of teams passed on Siakam much. So it's not only the Celtics. Or yeah. missing on Keldon Johnson, the kid from San Antonio, who went yeah. late first round. Like, there are some misses there. And so you you need some new faces, new blood, talent. Get one of these sharp-ass ESPN guys. To evaluate, evaluate, hey, there's a kid, French, second league, French, 
player. There's some kid in Australia. There's some kid in Ghana. Like, you need – it can't be Vincent Poirier. Like, that can't be the best you could do. Daniel Tice worked out. You signed Vincent Poirier to a two-year deal, and it took two weeks to figure out he couldn't play. <laughs> well, I, am I'll I wrong? Say, like the training yeah. camp, I'm sure Brad. One one of the reasons why Brad wants to be in charge is Brad looks at this kid, this big kid who looks like he should be a bouncer up at at, at one of Boston's nightclubs, and he can't play. And Brad's like, "We got this dude for two years. Like oh, I can't, <laughs> I can't play him." Where did right. he come from? They signed him to a two-year deal. He's out yeah. the league now. Gershon out the league. Zizek out the league. Or almost like you can't miss like that. All these right. assets and draft picks that the Celtics had and Ainge had, a lot of them were botched. We can go back to James Young and RJ Hunter. You know, like it's unfortunate. You're gonna wait first round that you're gonna miss on. Like that's not a a, a sin to miss on, but like the fifteen, the the, the ten to twenty. Not the lottery. He landed on Brown. He landed on Smart. He landed on Tatum. I mean, he's he got over on Philly for for the Martell Fultz and Tate. Like he that, yeah. that was that was unfair. That ain't right. Yeah. And Danny should have had a mask and you know put your <laughs> hands up for that one. Okay, those are some highlights, but there's been some lowlights. And so to me, you can't run it back with the same staff and the same talent evaluators. Get some new guys in here. There's guys all over the world who assess college basketball, international basketball, to get you some guys in who can help you. Desmond Bain, have you seen that dude, how he's built? Oh, he's built like a like, – he's, like he's, he's bigger than Marcus Smart. He's got a grown ass. I, how do yeah. you pass on him? That dude, look, he was four-year senior, so he's going to help you right away. Yeah. He's four years at TCU. He coming in, and you trade that pick to Memphis because you don't want to pay a first-rounder? Like – you got to figure that out. Like you need, you need those type of guys. Yeah, yeah, and the, you know, the, I I will say this. I mean, Remy Cofield, he he's been doing a lot. I think he's like the GM of the the main Red Claws, and I think he's part of that that inner framework brain trust that's going to be evaluating and in the Celtics front office. And I think that that's one step towards I think having a little bit more diversity of thought because really that's really what this comes down to not so much a person that looks a certain way or is a certain gender but just do you have a different set of ideas that are percolating yeah. within the inner framework of your organization I think that's There's someone who that, played the game who might be right. look, look at a guy and go that dude can't play right I don't like his body like like and I said it's a it's a crapshoot nowadays mm -hmm. you got dudes coming in from this league elite now there's this overtime elite that they signed it in at 12-year-olds. You know, I mean, it, it's going to get even crazier, okay? It is. Because these dudes is coming out of nowhere, and you don't know when, when you're getting Luca, or you don't know when you're getting, you know what I'm saying, or when you're getting Cody Zeller. Like, you just right. don't know. Right. Cody Zeller was an All-American in Indiana, and he can't, you know what I'm saying? Like, in Luca, people, didn't, people had no clue that Luca was going to, no one had any clue Luca was going to be this good. Nobody. Right. Or even right. Trey Young. Oh, he's too small. He can't shoot. He can. He's like Steph, but he's smaller. Oh, okay. Let, let, you know what I'm saying? Like, it, it's a crapshoot. But you've got to improve your odds to land in a draft because you have to. Be, your 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 roster can't be built strictly through free agency. Look at the right. Lakers. Okay, the Lakers. Oh, sign Andre Drummond. Did that work? Montrez or Montrezl because he got a Z in there. Exactly. Montrez. <laughs> You know, Dennis Schroeder, 
lost right. in the first round. Like you can't build your bench strictly through free agency. The Celtics need to get a better draft foundation. Well, the the one thing that that certainly when I think about that comes to mind, and, and you you kind of touched on it a little bit is is when you talk about having diverse voices in the conversation. One of the things, and I, it were, I was reminded of that by the way Portland handled the firing of Terry Stotts. When they fired Terry Stotts and they said, Terry, you're fired, or we're going to mutually part ways, however the hell they want to phrase that, the first person they talked to after they did that was Dame Lillard, which to me, is, is it, it seems like a no-brainer, but we see a lot of organizations don't necessarily do that. I mean, uh, Different sport altogether, obviously, but if the Green Bay Packers, for example, would have reached out to Aaron Rodgers and told him, we're going to draft the quarterback as your heir apparent before they drafted him or right after they were had convinced themselves to do that, I don't know if they'd be in the pickle that they're in. With the Celtics, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, I think, have clearly set themselves apart from the rest of the players on this organization. How involved do you think those two guys should be? Not so much in the decisions that are being made, but just – the, the, the fact that decisions are being made, should they be, you know, should they get that phone call? Like if the Celtics decide to trade for whoever it is, should they be the first one that gets that call saying that's going to happen? Should they get that call before it happens? How do you think they should, should, what role should they play in this team's building going forward? I don't think either of them want to be like player slash GM. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't think either of them are comfortable like going, yeah, get that guy or hire this coach. But I do think they would like to be and should be consulted on these type of deals. The, the thing is, you got to keep these two guys in Boston, you know, because sooner or later, a few years from now, that that opt out year is going to be coming or whatever. And it's going to be you know, it's going to be that like Giannis situation where Boston, oh, my God, is, is Tatum going to come back Should we trade Tatum? All that all this stuff is going to come up. Um, and, and if he's not happy, the same with Brown. Okay, you have a, like a 23-year-old dude who's likely going to make the All-NBA team and a 24-year-old who could have made it with some luck and some help but was both coming off All-Star season. So you've got to keep both of them at Boston and both of them happy. Now, you don't follow all their orders and let them play GM, but you do consult and discuss. And I think both of them – I think Brown is probably more opinion on what should happen Tatum is is sort of like, listen, as long as I get along with them, I just want a ball and and they'll feature me like I want to be featured and we win it. Mm-hmm. Because I think I think the thing is championships is what where it matters. Those guys want to win. And people, oh, Tatum don't want to win. Tatum want to be on commercials. I think Tatum is a is a is a cutthroat, fiery competitor. He just doesn't show it. You don't think he liked dropping 50 on KD in, in game three? He he enjoyed that, believe mm-hmm. me. Like he wants to get his respect as a top ten player. He does as much as he got all these little photos with LeBron and KD when he was a young dude, and he, he looks up to him, but he also wants to kill. Him. And, right. and and that's what you want. And the same with Jalen Brown. So mm-hmm. I think that I think you talk to them about it, but I don't think you like let them in the room and let them make help make final decisions. That's what management is for. Um, yeah. But I do think you do consult with them and. You know, what is your relationship like with Chauncey? Have you ever talked to him? Yeah, I have. I talked to him in Detroit once or at the All-Star or he pulled me aside, you know, like, or at the Player Association meeting. Something, you know, like, just get what your experiences are with him or Sam Cassell or any other names that are out there and see how what they think of those guys. You don't let that determine your final decision. 
But I don't. Also, you don't want a coach that like I don't like this dude. Like now, it, that's rare. Most right. of these guys probably don't know them that well. But you know, you also want to you also want to take their opinions into account. Yeah, a- absolutely, a- absolutely. And I, and I think that to your point, I, I think Jalen is a little bit more comfortable. You know, kind of putting his two cents in there. And, and the thing about Tatum that I, I I sense was that as the playoffs went on, that 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 killer that that you talk about seemed to be a little bit more obvious uh you know remember almost every time he would get touched going to the rim he'd give you the hands up like why didn't I get the call and now it seems there's more he's finishing those plays giving the ref the stare now thinking like okay you I didn't get that call but you, I you're gonna give me the next one and gets back in place it's like he's been able to play through a lot of the frustrations that I thought he had earlier and that has made him I think a better player and I think frankly it's made him a better leader. And speaking of better, one of the things we like to do here is we like to end on the best note, and that is a game or games. We're going to play a game called Pick and Roll, Gary. Pick and Roll. And this is what happens. I'm going to make a statement. You make a pick, and you explain why you're rolling with that pick. Are you ready? Oh, oh ready as I ever be. Bigger impact. Brad Stevens in his first year as president of basketball ops or the new Boston Celtics head coach? New head coach. Why? Uh, I just think he'll give a fresh voice, new staff. They'll do better. Um, I think Brad, his moves are limited because of the salary cap. You know, um, let's see what happens with Kimball Walker. Let's see what happens with some of the other guys in the bench, you know, but they don't have a, a bunch of money to make a bunch of moves. There's going to be some, some trades. Uh, you know, is, is, is Brad going to pull off some huge deals just to make a splash? I think he'll be very calculating his moves. I think the first-year head coach will have a bigger impact. Okay. All right. Uh, fill the lane. I'm going to make a statement, and you fill in the blank. All right? The rotation guy. You don't expect to see on this Boston Celtics team next year is blank. Wow, I mean, like, uh, I say Grant Williams. Okay, okay, I'll buy that. Yeah, one more game, one more game, and we'll leave. We'll leave on this one. All right, it's, it's called starting five, and I'm going to say five words or phrases, and you're going to give me the first word that comes to mind. All right. Celtics head coach. Uh, Chauncey Billups. Woo! Robert Williams III. Uh, a nice extension, but with a lot of incentives, including games played. <laughs> 2021 NBA champion. Brooklyn Nets. Woo! Okay. Aaron Neesmith. Uh, potential to be a solid rotation guy, maybe a starter down the road, but work on that jumper. Showed a lot of uh, perseverance and gill during that rookie year. Liked him. Okay. And the last but certainly not least question statement, which is probably the most important one we got. Syracuse basketball. Uh, wow. Is Jerry McNamara back for another year? I hate you. I hate you. <laughs> you know, damn well he's a coach. <laughs> Is he a coach now? 
I hate you. I hate you. Shoot, he's the all-time leading scorer, assist man, games play. I mean, my goodness. I hate you. <laughs> you led him to seven tournaments. I mean, I, you, I hate you should be able to go. so much. I hate you so much. I'm just saying. That is all there. we got time for today. <laughs> Such a bitch. I hate Gary Washburn. Always a pleasure, Gary Washburn. Always a pleasure. Um, all, all serious though. Good, good stuff. Good stuff as always, G. Uh, check out his work on the Boston Globe uh, website app and all your different. Uh, and also, your book is is still out there. Uh, can plug that. Anything else you got coming? A podcast or anything else that you got that we can uh, plug now? Well, uh, Washburn Files podcast, and hopefully, my guest next week will be none other than Sherrod Blakely. We'll see if we can. Oh wow! You know, talk maybe. to the agent. Yeah, we'll see if we can book you. I'm gonna call your people. I'm gonna call my people now. Call my people, and then my people will let me know. Yeah, the Washburn (laughs) Files podcast. Uh, And yeah, it should be exciting off season. Finally, we're getting back to summer league, so hopefully the fans will get some normalcy back. But uh, yeah, it should be some a great summer. Absolutely, I agree. I agree. And uh, again, uh, Gary Washburn, thanks for coming on. As always, Uh, I'm glad that you had a chance to get. Get, take your shots at Syracuse because that's what you do. Uh, his school is Cal, the Cal Cubbies, excuse me, Cal Bears. About, I just asked a question about the roster. That was all. I hate you. I, I hate I, you. I was like, damn, how much is, damn, Jerry McNamara, like, he he could have he could have helped. I mean, what, how many scored against Houston when they lost that game? Like, geez. Go, go you know? away. Just go. Just I, know, go I know Buddy Bayheim, Buddy Bayheim. I mean, he's going to be there for three, four more years. I know that. Where's my mute button? Where's my mute button? Let me get this, this dude what, out of was here. He, was, was he a freshman now? Go to, <laughs> just go away. He's going to be there until 2030. I hate Gary. I so, so much. I don't know why. I don't know. I'm going to blame my boo, our producer, for, for getting you on here. That's what I'm going to blame. It's our boo's fault that I'm, I'm dealing with this nonsense. Uh, anyway, Gary Washburn, Boston Globe. Always a pleasure. Sometimes. Sometimes. I'll talk, to you. And then. I'll talk to you soon, brother. All right. Thank you, bro. I'll see you. See you. Gary Washburn. Always amusing. Occasionally has a nugget or two that's worthwhile. No, I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna crap on my guy. Good, that was good stuff from Gary. You just mad about Syracuse. Let it go. I am a little, little salty <laughs> about that, but I'm gonna I'm gonna let it slide. I'm gonna let it slide. Gary, good stuff though. I, I I was I was curious about uh his thoughts on just who he thought the new coach would be, and he made it pretty clear who his guy is. Um and as you can tell, you know, I have no issues with Chauncey Phillips. None at all. Uh none at all. Uh but I suspect that. Brad is going to have a pretty wide swath of folks he's going to talk to. And Chauncey, I anticipate, will be in the mix in some capacity. But, I do appreciate uh, the advocacy for the Black women that you guys mentioned. As you can see, my shirt alludes to the fact that, I mean, this is more for media when it comes to just diversifying. But I think if the Celtics do have this opportunity. That's a nice shirt you got there, Kwani. Look at that. Where'd you get that shirt from? <laughs> little birdie popped that one into the kid. Yeah. I love that. It's but I think shirt. the Celtics have a chance to make a historical hire. They should make sure that they do it and they they pick, the obviously, the person that is best for the job, but make sure they're not just limiting themselves to the cliche of what we've seen in the NBA over the last Right. Well, that, that's one of the reasons why, when I've, when I've talked to people about just their thoughts and what the Celtics will do, uh, 
I the consensus is that they would not be the least bit shocked if the Celtics went an unconventional, out of the box, historical type hire. Uh, which, when you look at today's uh, you know landscape, that would more likely to not mean they're going to hire a woman. And yeah. certainly, you know, Carl Lawson, former assistant with the Celtics, is someone that will be mentioned. Becky Hammond from San Antonio, I, I think, will get serious consideration. One because of her proven track record as an assistant coach, uh, as someone who's played the game at a high level, someone that has shown the ability to not only demand but command the respect of, of players and coaches alike. She's from the freaking Greg Popovich tree of coaching. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to get your credentials signed and sealed by anyone anyway, in the right. NBA, that's the one. And remember, yeah, the first person of, of significance in the NBA who absolutely doubled down on Brad Stevens as being, he's one of ours, he's one that I Greg. support, it was Greg Popovich. Yeah. So I, I don't see a scenario where Becky Hammond, at a minimum, doesn't get an interview with the right. Celtics. Uh, but realistically, uh, you could bring her in, and if you look at her credentials, you look at what she's done, you look at the fact that she's a former player, you really can't set her resume to the side from others as being less than when you look at the body of work that she's put together. And to me, that's ultimately what you have to do. You have to find mm -hmm. not just the best black coach or the best female coach, but the best mm -hmm. fit for what you're looking right. to do. I think she's one of those assistant coaches uh, who will probably come up in the conversation who meet, who I think checks off a lot of the boxes that if you're going to make this hire, and this is going to be Brad Stevens' first hire, um, that's someone that you got to give some serious thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. And I, the only hiccup I could see, I've had these conversations with my fellow NBA journalist friends. And I think with her being in that system and Greg's, you know, coaching staff, if she was given the promise of being, you know, the next head coach there, I wonder if that would be a deterrent of coming to Boston. But Cara Lawson also, I think, could be a really good one because, yes, yeah, she had that year at Duke where she was able to get that head coaching experience, but she is familiar with this team, the front office. She was be able to be under Brad Stevens during her time here. So she's probably would seamlessly fit into Boston as well. But as you mentioned, potentials for both of those women speak for themselves. So I'm very curious to see what Brad ends up deciding to do. Yeah, because I mean, it's not the thing I, I try to talk to people about when they talk about the issues affecting the city of Boston is that you have to draw a clear distinction between the city of Boston and the Boston Celtics yeah. organization. Yeah. Uh, the city has its own historical issues that we ain't got <laughs> enough time on the planet to get all into. But when you look at the Celtics as an organization, you know, they were the ones that drafted the first black player. They're the ones that had the first all black starting five. They had the first black head coach. They had the first, you know, uh, NBA champion uh, black head coach. And you just start looking at them from a trailblazing standpoint. No one should really be shocked if they hired a Carol Lawson or they hired a Becky Hammond to be the first female head coach in the NBA. It, it shouldn't come as a shock to anyone who has any sense of the NBA uh, from a historical standpoint and understanding of where the Celtics have aligned themselves historically with with the league. So uh, this is also a shameless plug because you made it so easy for me to pivot to this. But my latest 10 questions with NBC 10 Boston features Andrea Campbell, who's running for mayor in Boston. I know her. Yeah. And she actually told me that Brad Stevens and someone within the Celtics organization actually reached out to her when it came to the social justice issues that were happening in the state of Massachusetts, and they wanted to work with her as well. So that goes to show that this organization 
in addition to the press releases and the money that they put behind these efforts, they actually are reaching out to local leaders to try to figure out a way to make a difference. So yes. to your point, the distinguish the people need to make that distinguish um, in factor of Boston versus the Boston Celtics. Yeah, yeah, and I and I think the city in many respects is getting better, but again, the the, the historical track record is not great. Yeah. Um, but definitely, I think that there are tangible mile markers, if you will, to show that they are trending in the right direction. But clearly, not where they want to be. Certainly, like most cities, most states aren't where they want to be, but they're uh, definitely moving in the right direction. And, and and we are definitely moving in the right direction. Thanks to our good friends, BetOnline.ag. Remember to subscribe, like, and leave Kwani and myself the gift that is always giving, and that is an amazingly awesome five-star review. Uh, and keep the podcast going because that's just what we do. Um, that's what we do. Uh, and Kwani, you mentioned uh, you've, you've got the interview with Andrea coming up. Uh, uh, is there any other stuff? Is that that's the, the that's the the latest one, right? Yeah, so I, I started a series with all the mayoral candidates. They have all been invited, all six of them. Andrea was the first one to be featured, so that can be found on NBC10Boston.com slash 10 questions. The second one is John Barrows. He's coming up at the end of this week, and the rest of them have already been booked. So stay tuned for those. I think it's a really good opportunity for anyone that lives in Boston proper to just get to know the candidates and really figure out who you want to vote for, because this is a historical election in Boston. And I think anyone that is a voter should really take it seriously and make sure that they wrote for someone that's aligned with what they believe. Absolutely. Absolutely. Kwani's dealing with like real life <laughs> issues. Me, I'm, I'm dealing with the playoffs. So, you know, uh, I'm still I'm dealing- in the sports world though. I dabble with the pod. So that helps me stay relevant. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Now, for, for Bleach Report, I'll just continue to uh, be covering the playoffs. I'm going to be doing a preview this week on okay. the next game in the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, Philadelphia Sixers series, which is incredibly entertaining. Uh, I'm enjoying the hell out of that one, so I'll, I'll be Wait, doing so that. Who is your pick for the? I saw. I heard you ask Gary this. So, who is your 2021 NBA final champion? Champion? I gotta go Brooklyn. Yep. I gotta go Brooklyn, and it, it, it pains me to do that because I really don't want them to. Yeah. But they are so they're they're so ridiculous as an offensive team, and their role players are so just solid in their roles. Uh, Bruce Brown, Joe Harris, uh, you start going down. I mean, I mean, Blake Griffin, we thought he had his game was washed Look. up. And, and I swear, he he's that guy that, you know, when you go to the park, there's that one guy that you remember used to be nice back in the day. And last time you saw him, he wasn't very good. Well, and you get him on the court and he just, he's doing the things yeah. that he did like 20 years ago. I mean, Blake Griffin is doing chin-ups. On a him, regular him, now. James on Harden, I said they need Oscars because they fooled everyone in Houston and Detroit thinking that they were done for over the game. Miraculously, they both come to Brooklyn and are playing their asses off. So, no, yeah. that is <laughs> the turn. I almost feel like James Harden, when he was in Houston at the end, would put, like, one of those, like, extra belly wrap things around and make himself look bigger. And the I minute he so. get to Brooklyn, looking <laughs> like Adonis out there. I'm like, seriously? Oh, seriously? Dude. <laughs> yes. So I, I think Houston and Detroit fans, they feel that they've been hoodwinked, bamboozled, and let astray. Shout out yes. to <laughs> Yes. <That was> good. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, uh, we're done. Yeah, we're that's done. all we have. 
another one in the book. Uh, thanks for checking us out. A-List Podcast with Sherrod Blakely, myself, Kwani A. Lunas. Again, thanks to our guest this week, Gary Washburn of the Boston Globe. Uh, you can check out his work as well as his uh, podcast as well. Um, and again, while you're there, might as well check ours out too. A-List Podcast. Uh, myself, Sherrod Blakely, Kwani A. Lunas. We are out. <laughs>